don't know what to do. What do you mean? Like, what do we say? I don't know. Introduce yourself. You introduce yourself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast, True Crimes and Storytimes. I'm Kirsten. I'm Michelle. And every single time we do our intro, I always forget it. I feel so on the spot. <laughs> um, you always say something about the intro every know, episode. You're I like, know. I want to say the intro like this every time in my head. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I feel, I don't want to be like, and today we're doing yeah, I get a you. true crime, <laughs> you know. Um... Kirsten's back with the I'm true back crime this with week. Though. True crime coming at you with ring, 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 ring. There's our soundboard. <laughs> our homemade soundboard. We take turns. Show. Yeah. Um, bringing you a serial killer. I don't know. Have we done a serial killer yet? I don't know if we have. I don't think so. I don't think we have done a serial killer yet. Have we? I don't think so. Now I want to look, but I don't think we have. So we're going to be talking about Edmund Kemper today. One of the big ones big dogs but before we start oh. i wanted to say oh if you listen to our podcast and if you're listening to me say that right now then you're listening to our podcast <laughs> go leave us a review oh on yeah please Apple do podcast or spotify or anywhere next person that leaves us a review we're gonna read it how about yes. that next person that leave us a review will read it on and we're gonna go back and we're gonna read the last two on our next episode yeah okay because this one's gonna be kind of long mine's yeah. gonna be kind of short well, actually, it'll be on our past episode on Wednesday because we're, this is releasing on Friday. Oh, yeah. And Kirsten always <laughs> records first, just to say. We always record her episode first. I don't know why it's always been that way. I don't know. We just always have done that. So. Michelle didn't want to go first when we first started, so she made me go first. Yeah, I just, sure did. I just always go first. I sure did. I was like, mm. So if you're listening to this on Friday when it comes out, ew. When it comes out. <laughs> we read reviews in our wednesday episode there we go so please leave us a review leave us a even review if it's and constructive we'll, criticism we'll take it as long as you're just not being like plainly just being an asshole yeah so if you leave us a review now we will read it on next week's next wednesday's episode the past one. Oh, mm, any new ones yeah yep. okay anyway cool. before we get too confused let's jump in let's get into edmund kemper oh god so he was a serial killer obby we're just gonna say that he was a serial serial killer. He was a serial killer in Santa Cruz, California, in the 1970s. Okay. So here we go. All right. Um, his name was Edmund Emil Kemper the third. The third. The third, and he was born on December 18th, 1948, in Burbank, California. That's close to our birthdays again. What it's is like up with right this? between our birthdays? It's weird sagittarius and capricorns are y'all just crazy or what there's a lot of serial killers that were born in the time that we were well born. i promise you i'm not gonna be one i guess we did the opposite yeah now we, we just like true crime yeah there you go we don't want to <laughs> actually do it so his parents were clarnell elizabeth kemper and edmund emil kemper jr um and they had two other children other than edmund 
He had an older sister named Susan Huey Kemper, who was born in 1943, and then he had a younger sister whose name was Alan Lee Kemper, who was born in 1951. I like how they have these, um, like, unisex names, at least, like, like Alan is a unisex name, and I think Carnell is a unisex name, and that was his mom's name. Mm -hmm. I think that's cool. Yeah. So, he was the middle child, and he was the only son to his parents. Uh, His father was a World War II veteran who tested nuclear weapons and worked as an electrician in California. Bro, I really thought that's an esthetician for like five seconds. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Were estheticians even a thing? I don't know. Sorry. Guys, I'm going to school to be an esthetician in like Electrician, esthetician. So that is what is on my brain. So (laughs) I just like skimmed it before she like quickly read it and I was like, he was an esthetician. Yeah. Electrician. Not quite the same thing, but, you know. Yeah. Um, so, Clarnell, his mother, she always complained about her husband's job. Um, Edmund, the father, said, quote, Suicide missions in wartime and atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with Clarnell. And that she affected him, quote, more than 396 days and nights of fighting on the front did. End quote. Dang. So, it sounds like um, it was hell living with And Clarnell. they don't get along at all. I guess not. When he was born, Edmund weighed 13 pounds. Holy shit. Can and you imagine popping a baby out at 13 pounds? Listen, if you don't know, if you've never had kids, like the average size of a baby is 7 pounds. Yeah, so I was he's six. like almost double the average size of a baby when he was born. Like the heaviest baby my mom had was eight pounds, 15 ounces. So almost nine pounds. And that's a big for yeah. a baby. My kids were pretty average sized. Yeah. I mean, Evelyn was pretty small, but Jeffrey was average. Mm-hmm. Like spot on. Seven, seven. That's cool. But um, 13 pounds is a lot though. That 13 pounds is a lot. Um, and he was always taller than kids his age since the time he turned four years old so he was a big kid can't relate same um he was very antisocial. can relate relate. (laughs) (laughs) from a young age and would torture insects and animals so this is giving me very jeffrey dahmer very weird already okay you know jeffrey dahmer liked to pick up roadkill or something well he would pick up roadkill and then like dissect it well, he would boil, like, the bones and stuff because his father did it as well. That was part of his father's job. But So that's why he took that on. But nobody thought it was weird at the time or malicious because his father did that kind of stuff. So nobody really saw that as malicious at the time. At the time. Yeah, but, but it turned out back, that... Well, I mean, if your dad does it, you're like, meh. Yeah, I guess I you're mean, right. I mean, some people have weird, weird... What we would consider weird hobbies, but I feel like... I mean, bones are kind of cool, but I don't want to boil them in a pot Yeah. in my house. I mean, I guess he did, like, pick up roadkill. Like, they were already dead. Yeah, they were already dead, and at, then he would boil the bones and yeah. stuff, I believe. So, I don't think anybody at the time thought that was really, yeah, like, I'm sure uh, we'll do a red flag in, in the future. So. Oh, I'm sure we will. So, be on the lookout for that one. Anyway, yep. this is not Sorry. about Jeffrey Dahmer. No, this it is, is not. Kemper. <laughs> Sorry, we're going on tangents today. Yeah. So, at the age of 10, he buried a pet cat alive, and then once he, you know, figured it was dead, he dug it up, decapitated it, and then put its head on a spike in the ground. 
moment of silence for the cat for real Um, yikes later he stated that he got pleasure from lying to his family about killing the cat god okay at 13 he killed another family pet cat because it seemed to like his sister more than him and he kept part of its remains in his closet until his mother found them anybody want to switch me out right now (laughs) anybody listen we haven't even got there yet i know but this i hate i hate any torture to any living thing but yeah animals like especially because it just seems like they're so innocent and you don't do anything wrong intentionally they're just animals they're just there they're just animals and animals love it makes me so sad well if you think that was bad that was just the beginning so he had a very dark imagination i would assume so he performed rites with his sister's dolls that consisted of removing their heads and hands and this is going to be very important later on okay um he stated in an interview that some of his favorite games to play as a child were called gas chamber and electric chair okay um he would ask his sisters to tie him up and flip an imaginary switch and then he would fall over and like wiggle around on the ground pretending to be executed by gas or electric chair did they just not have anything to do back in the day or what I don't know. He just had a sick imagination. A little bit. A little bit. Um, he also had a couple close-to-death encounters when he was younger. One time, his sister tried to push him in front of a train. Yeah. And then another time, she pushed him into the deep end of the pool, and he almost drowned. So, his sister was trying to, Jeez. like, get rid of him. Yeah, I guess she Talk wasn't too great, is she? rivalry. Seriously, I mean, <laughs> I am not close enough in age with my little brothers, but they fight all the time. Oh, yeah. Arguing back and forth. I mean, when they were younger, they used to, like, punch each other and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You know what I mean? I but, can't like, imagine having two boys close in age. It's oh a hot gosh. mess. Yeah, I promise I you that. I but, bet it is. I know um, it was yeah. bad when me and my brother were growing up because we're only two years apart. Mm-hmm. And I'm a girl and he's a boy. Yeah. I can imagine. I can only imagine two boys. Yeah. Nuts. So, Edmund was very close with his father and was very upset when his parents got a divorce in 1957. He was placed in his mother's care in Helena, Montana. He did not get along with his mother at all. She was neurotic, domineering, alcoholic, who would belittle, humiliate, and abuse him. That's sad. So, he had a rough, rough time with his mom. We we can always feel bad for the child, but not for the not hand, for not the, the adult. What he did, yeah. She would make him sleep in a locked basement because she was afraid he would hurt her or her daughters, his sisters. She would make fun of his size because he was he was very large. Yeah, he was six feet four inches tall by the time he was fifteen years wow. old. That is tall. Yeah. He overheard his mother call him a real weirdo. When she was on the phone with his father. Hmm. So she was like, just, I don't know, didn't like him. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I can understand maybe being a little scared of him if she found out he killed the cats and put the cat head on a spike out in the yard. And he's bigger than she is. Yeah, but that's when you, I guess this is a time that you don't take your kids to therapy, but that's when you're like, you obviously need some therapy or something. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. don't just give up on your kid and like, be like, all right, peace. Right. You know what I mean? I just feel like that's really wrong. Yeah. Yeah. She never showed him any kind of affection because she was afraid if she did, it would turn him gay. 
stupid which is not true anyway that's your um, mother <laughs> yeah she told him that he reminded her of his father because no one no woman will ever love him Edmund described her as a, quote, sick, angry woman, and that she suffered from borderline personality disorder. At 14 years old, Edmund ran away from home to his father in Van Nuys, California, where he learned that his father had remarried and then had a stepson. Edmund stayed with his father for a while until his father sent him to live with his grandparents who were his father's parents Mm -hmm. in the sierra nevada mountains and edmund hated living with his grandparents too yeah he said his grandfather was senile and his grandmother was constantly emasculating him and his grandfather he said quote she thought she had more balls than any man and was constantly emasculating me and my grandfather to prove it end quote Despite hating living there, he did manage to make a friend with David or Mike Dozier, who lived close by and was close to the same age as him. Okay. According to Mike and his mother, Elena, I know, (laughs) the Vampire Diaries, right? Yep. (laughs) Uh, He stopped hanging out with Edmund, who he called Guy, after their cat went missing along with one of Elena's pillowcases. And they never figured out what happened with the cat in the pillowcase. But we can always, we can only assume. Yeah. Pretty much. Knowing his past of with animals. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get into his first victims. Okay. Already. He's 15 years old. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it seems like he probably has a lot of pent-up angry. Angry? Angry. Pent-up angry. Anger because his mom treated him like garbage. And now his grandparents are. Yeah. So, after clashing with his grandmother on numerous occasions, he got angrier and angrier. I didn't even read that line, honestly. Yeah. He said, quote, I couldn't please her. It was like being in jail. I became a walking time bomb and I finally blew, end quote. So, on August 27th, 1964, Edmund and his grandmother got into another argument. She was sitting at the kitchen table when Edmund went and got his grandfather's twenty-two caliber rifle and shot his grandmother, Maud Kemper, in the back of the head twice. R.I.P. Yeah. Or, sorry, in the head and then twice in the back. Sorry. Oh, okay. I messed that up. So, he shot her once in the head and then twice in the yeah. back. Um, and he was just 15. That's crazy. Yeah. The rifle that he used was a gift from his grandfather but it was taken away because he kept shooting animals with it for no reason that ain't right i just feel like okay there's a difference between hunting and just and just killing animals for no reason like yeah if you're out here like hunting deer turkey whatever and like it may be and you use the meat and all that like i can understand that i i think that's okay but like if you're out here killing animals for no reason especially cats dogs whatever and even like poachers that go out and like kill elephants and stuff for their tusks and stuff like that like that's not right at all especially when they're like endangered yeah seriously so he said his grandmother's last words were quote oh you better not be shooting the birds again oh god at this time his grandfather had been at the grocery store And once he pulled back into the driveway, Edmund went out and met him in the driveway and then shot him as well. (sighs) 
so now he's killed both of his grandparents. Two victims already. And At the age of 15. 15. Wow. Yeah. He later said that he killed his grandmother because he, quote, just wanted to see what it felt like to kill grandma, end quote. But he didn't want his grandfather to find out that his wife had been murdered, so that's why he killed him too. Which is weird yeah. to me. I just wanted to know what it felt like to kill grandma. I feel like... What? I feel like the reason that he really killed his grandfather is he didn't want him to be disappointed in him. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he said his grandma really treated him like garbage, but I felt like he had more of a connection with his grandpa. Just like with his dad. Yeah. I feel like it's a it's a woman thing. Yeah. And know? so he's like, I just wanted to see what it felt like to kill grandma. Right. But I think another part of him was just really, really angry and all that build up from his mom and then his grandma. And not to mention, but... His grand his grandfather was the only male person that he killed. Okay. So that's interesting. Yes. All, and all I, of his other victims. Like I said, women. I feel like obviously I don't think he can feel any like empathy or Mm-mm. sympathy because he is a serial killer. Or remorse, mm-hmm. I should say. I'm not sure I I can't remember if I put this in the notes later on, but he was very smart. He had oh, a for very sure. high IQ. I think they're all smart. He had like a hundred and forty five IQ. Yeah, it's crazy. You know how people ask you, well, I don't know, if you could have dinner with a serial killer, who would it be? Yeah. Alive or dead? Mm-hmm. Mine would be Edmund Kemper because he's smart. Mm-hmm. Like, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And he knows that what he's doing has consequences. He's not, right. like, crazy. Mm-hmm. It's just... I don't know. When, I c- you, when you get to the rest of the story, I think you'll understand more why, but he was just... Just wait. <laughs> we'll go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, so after the incident, Edmund called his mother and told her everything, and she told him to call the police, so he did. The crimes were considered incomprehensible for a 15-year-old to commit, so Edmund was sent to the criminally insane unit of the Tuscadero State Hospital. Okay. There, doctors determined that Edmund had paranoid schizophrenia as well as a very high IQ. It was like 145. And paranoid like that. schizophrenia, that, that stuff will do stuff to you. Yeah. For sure. That's like... Mm-hmm. So, at a Tescadero, psychiatrists and social workers reported that Kemper showed no flight of ideas, no interference with thought, and no expression of delusions or hallucinations, and no evidence of bizarre thinking. So, it wasn't like... It wasn't like he was crazy. It wasn't yeah. like he, you know, some serial killers are nuts whack wacko like i don't know how to explain it but they just they don't realize what they're doing Mm -hmm. is wrong he knew that yeah he knew what he was doing was wrong yeah um i think some of them know what they're doing is wrong but in their mind maybe they think they aren't gonna have any consequences they justify it in their mind somehow right like i'm doing this for a reason Mm -hmm. and it's gonna be fine Mm mm-hmm so, he was a model prisoner while he was at a Tuscadero. Um, and he actually was trained to administer psychiatric tests to other inmates. Which I think is bad because then he has a psychiatric test, like, down pat. Mm-hmm. And if they were to do another psychiatric test on him... He could figure out how to pass it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? I don't, I don't think that's right. Mm-hmm. But it's also, like, the 1960s, right? Right. One of his psychi- psychiatrists, <laughs> psychiatrists said that he was a very good worker. Um, 
Despite murdering his grandparents, Kemper was only in the hospital for a few years. So wow. he was 15 when it happened. Mm-hmm. He was released on his 21st birthday in 1969. So, I mean... 30 years before my first birthday? Man. Weird. <laughs> so that's like... What? Six years? Six years in a psychiatric hospital? Which isn't long. Yeah. If he was 15 to 21. Mm-hmm. Six years. That's not that long. That's not that long. I don't know. When you're for in murder. there, probably. For murder. But when you're in there, it probably feels like Forever. way longer. Right. So when he was released, it was suggested that he was not to be released to live with his mother. Because he already had problems with her. Mm-hmm. Um, she was working as an administrative assistant at the University of California in Santa Cruz. But despite being suggested otherwise he was still sent to live with her anyway did he not have any other family at this point or was just no one willing to take him i don't think he had much family and i think if he did no one i mean he murdered his grandparents i'm sure most people were afraid to have him oh for sure i don't know about his father i'm not sure what happened with his father Hmm. but since he was remarried and had a stepson i don't think that that would have been good in that situation um, his mother at that time had remarried and had taken the last name Strandberg and then she was divorced again. Hmm. So her name now is Clarnell Strandberg. Gotcha. And she was living in Aptos, California. While he was with, li- excuse me. While he was what? <laughs> While he was living with his mother, Edmund went to college because it was one of his parole requirements. Mm-hmm. Um... After he was released from Tuscadero, he tried to live a normal life. He wanted to be a state trooper, but was denied because he was too large. I, I think they do have requirements. I didn't know that was a requirement. Well, I know they have requirements for the military. I don't know about being a state trooper. Yeah, I don't know. Can I Google this real quick? Yeah. So, for troopers, you have to be able to do a 16-inch vertical jump. You have to be able to do 29 sit-ups in one minute. You have to be able to do a 300-meter run in 71 seconds. You have to be able to do 25 push-ups. And you have to be able to do a one-and-a-half-mile run in 16 minutes and 28 seconds. What about, like, appearance-wise? Like, size? Does Um, it not say? It doesn't say. I think you just have to be able to pass the physical exam. Exam. Wait, let me see. Maybe Maybe they changed it since then. Oh, you have to, like, you can't be underweight or overweight. So, maybe he was considered overweight because yeah. he was 300 pounds. But really, but though, he was that's to get into basic training because, you know, after you're in the force. Yeah. We've seen some cops that are not going to pass that physical testing. Yeah, no. They would not be able to do a foot chase. No. Um, but maybe that's just for city cops. Maybe. Like, maybe state troopers have, like, a lot more, like, requirements or something. Mm-hmm. Anyways. So, at that time, he was 6 feet 9 inches tall and 300 pounds. So, he was a very big guy. So, after being denied the state trooper position, mm-hmm. he got a job at the Department of Transportation. Okay. Which will not be good in the future. Oh, oh okay. He saved up enough money from working there. To mm-hmm. eventually move out of his mother's house and live with a friend in Alameda. Hmm. Maybe that'll be better for him. This is still in California, too. So, yeah. not far. Um, but he c- couldn't get away from his mom, even after he oh. moved out. Uh, because she would call him 
on a regular basis and then come over unannounced to show no, up no, at his no. house. No, so no, 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 she was very, very too much. Yeah. No, I just don't feel that's right. No. Call me before you come to my house. Yeah. Even if my mom even knows to call me before she comes to my People house. People that just show up at my house unannounced really bother. So Edmund struggled financially and went back to live with his mother in Aptos. Okay. He couldn't keep up with the bills. It's hard. It is hard. He met a student that he used to go to high school with at uh, Santa Cruz Beach. Mm -hmm. And then he was briefly engaged to this person. But they ended the engagement after Edmund was arrested a second time. And I couldn't find any kind of record about his second arrest. I'm not sure if that's referring to the arrest for the murders at the end or what. But I, Hmm. what I could find, he was only arrested for his grandmother's grandparents and his later murders so i don't know um but this person's family requested that her name not be revealed to the public we wouldn't even talk about it here anyways yeah no we don't really reveal people's names like yeah that. no um in 1973 edmund was hit by a car while he was riding a motorcycle and his arm was very badly injured he received a fifteen thousand dollar settlement Jeez. which equals about ninety thousand dollars now I mean, 15000 is still a lot. Yeah. Even today. Mm-hmm. He would drive around town in his 1969 Ford Galaxy that he bought with his settlement. Um, and he would notice a lot of women hitchhiking. So, he decided to start giving them rides. I would say that's nice, but... Mm-hmm. Oh, I just looked up what a 1969 Ford Galaxy looks like. Actually, kind of cool. Oh, yeah. It's a nice car. Shoot, I'd drive that. Anyways. He said, quote, At first, I picked up girls just to talk to them, just to try and get acquainted with people my own age and try to strike up friendship. End quote. He so seemed he like a lonely guy. he had good intentions. He had good intentions. He said he picked up over 100 girls with no incident. Just trying to, like, be nice, kind of have friends in a yeah, weird way. Yeah, he seemed you know? lonely, to yeah. be honest. He also, though, kept plastic bags, knives, blankets, and handcuffs in his trunk. So, were his intentions good, or was he just, like, waiting for the right girl? Yeah. Was he thinking about this for a long time? Or, I don't know. I don't know. It's suspicious. A little bit. So, between May 1972 and April 1973... Edmund had killed a total of eight people. Wow. All who were women in their teens or early 20s. He would pick up female students who were hitchhiking and take them to isolated areas where he would shoot, stab, smother, or strangle them. Put a trigger warning. This is kind of deals with sexual abuse if you don't want to listen to that. Also just murder in general. Murder in general. So maybe head out now. Um, He would... Then take their bodies back to his home where he would decapitate and sexually assault their bodies. Then dismember them and sexually assault their heads after they were decapitated. Bruh, my hairs on my arm are literally standing up. Yeah, it's gross. It literally gives me chills. Like, Yeah, it's weird to think about. I don't even want to think about it. We're just going to continue. We're just going to roll. During his murder spree, Edmund killed five college students, one high school student, his mother, and his mother's best friend. 
Edmund stated in interviews that he would often search for victims after he had been arguing with his mother and that she refused to introduce him to women where she worked. So we see where he's getting his, like, motive from. Yeah. From his, his anger toward his mother. Not a very good coping method. No. So Edmund said, quote, she would say, you're just like your father. You don't deserve to get to know them, end quote. Edmund, as well as psychiatri- psychiatrists, <laughs> that's a hard word, believe. I thought it was psychiatrists. Fuck, it is psychiatrists. <laughs> psychiatrists, Edmund, as well as psychiatrists, believe that the young women were surrogates for his ultimate target, which was his mother. Yeah, especially if he went out after they were arguing. I'm sure he was, like, imagining that they were his mother. Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now we're going to get into the details of each murder and... It's pretty graphic and repetitive and deals a lot with sexual assault and some gross stuff. So, like I said, don't listen to the rest of this episode if you're triggered by those things. Okay, I'm out. <laughs> you have no choice. I'm just kidding. Um, but he definitely had a routine. Like, all of these were pretty much done in the same same manner. Okay. On May 7th, 1972, Edmund was driving in Berkeley when he picked up 18-year-old Mary Ann Pesch and 18-year-old Anita Mary Lucessa, who were hitchhiking to Stanford University. All right. Anita was said to be involved in many clubs in school, including the German Club, the American Field Service, the Science Club, and the Freshman and Sophomore Yale Leaders. Nice. I couldn't find very much of anything about Marianne except that her parents were Gabriel and Louis Pesch, and she had two brothers, Vincent and Mark, and two sisters, Lori and Barbara. I couldn't find a whole lot about any of the victims, so I tried mm-hmm. to put in there what I could find. Yeah. We want to highlight the victims right. as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Even though we are covering Edmund Kemper, it's... His victims were more important than him. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the families kind of kept them, a lot of their information private. They are pretty young. Mm-hmm. So. So after he picked up Marianne and Anita, he drove for about an hour before he reached a secluded area of woods near Alameda. So this is close to where he used to live. Gotcha. With his friend. His roommate. Okay. He was familiar with this area because of his time working at the highway department as well. He then handcuffed Marianne and locked Anita in the trunk. While Anita was in the trunk, he stabbed and strangled Marianne to death and then did the same to Anita. He stated in a later interview that he brushed the back of his hand against Marianne's breast while he was handcuffing her and it embarrassed him. He apologized despite murdering her just minutes later, which is weird. So weird. The psychological part of this is what I'm more so interested in. Yeah. The fact that he was embarrassed, but then murdered her. Like, yeah. I don't get it. I don't either. In one interview, Edmund says that after he murdered Marianne and went to the trunk to get Anita, he told her that Marianne had broken her nose and was bleeding very badly and that she was going to die and needed help. This was to kind of coax Anita out of the trunk so she could go try and help her friend. Mm-hmm. But when she got out of the trunk, that's when he killed her. Yeah. Edmund put both girls' bodies into the trunk of his Ford Galaxy and went back to his apartment. He act, he was pulled over on his way home for a broken taillight, mm-hmm. but the officer didn't suspect that there were any bodies in the back of his trunk. I mean, who would? 
I don't know. Unless he was still covered in blood, then I'd be like, um, sir, can yeah. I ask you a few questions? I'm assuming he cleaned it up before he. Oh, I'm sure he brought like off. a change of clothes and stuff. Yeah, you know. So at this time, Kemper was still living with his roommate, but his roommate wasn't home, so he took the two bodies into his apartment where he photographed them and had sexual intercourse with the corpses before dismembering them. Also, he got embarrassed earlier about brushing up against her breast, but he does that. It's like, yeah, it doesn't make sense, but probably because I don't think the way he does. Thank you. Thank God. Yeah. He put the dismembered body parts into plastic bags and later took them to Loma Prieta Mountain to dispose of them. Before dumping their heads in the mountain, Edmund engaged in Irushimato with both of them. And if you don't know what that is, it's gross. Um, It is a form of oral sex where someone thrusts their penis into someone else's mouth, often with the intention of inducing the gag reflex and forcing them to vomit. This is a real thing that people, like, get off on. I mean, listen. If both parties are consenting, that's their business, okay? But this is just fucking wrong and giving me chills. I'm like, I can't even sit in my seat, dude. And how are you doing this to try and um, induce the gag reflex when there's no body? Right. It's It's just just a freaking head. head. I'm like, gross. I keep getting chills over here. We're going to continue. In August later that year, Mary Ann's skull was found on the mountain, but the rest of Anita's remains were never found. That sucks. On September 14, 1972, Edmund picked up Aiko Ku, a 15-year-old dance student who was hitchhiking to her dance class after she missed her bus. Aiko was the daughter of Skadrite Rubin, an immigrant from Latvia, and her father was Korean, but I couldn't find his name. Okay. She was an accomplished dancer who toured the country performing in authentic ballet costumes that her maternal grandmother sewed wow she also played the korean drums also cool um she had dreams to have a career in korean folk dance that's awesome that's a very like unique goal to have i I think think it's also awesome that she was really leaning into her culture yeah for sure so just like before he drove her he picked her up and then drove her to a remote area where he pulled a gun on her before he accidentally, like, got out of his car and locked himself out of the car, and Aiko was still inside. That's when I would just hop over, drive off, or try to run him over. I don't know which one. I don't know. So, he managed to convince her to unlock the doors and let him back in. No. Despite the fact that the gun was inside the car with her. No. Yeah. So. She was a young kid, though. Yeah, she was 15 years old, so. Yeah. So, she didn't really know yeah. what to do in that situation. I'm 23. I can definitely say I would not do that. Yeah. Also, I would not hitchhike. But that's just my personal opinion. I wouldn't hitchhike now. This was back in the day when they would do that a lot, though. Right. So, and also, like we said, she's 15. So, mm-hmm. she easier to manipulate. Right. You know. So, he once he got back in the car, he choked her until she was unconscious, raped her, and then killed her. Edmund put her body into the trunk of his car and went to a bar and had a few drinks before driving back home. 
He later said that when he went to leave the bar, he opened his trunk to, quote, admire his catch like a fisherman. So nobody saw him in the parking lot opening his trunk. I don't know. Maybe it was dark outside at a bar. They're also drunk, so probably nobody yeah. probably thought of it. That's true. When he got to his apartment, he had sexual intercourse with the body mm-hmm. and dismembered and disposed of the remains in a similar way that he did before. Aiko's mother called the police to report her daughter missing and put up hundreds of flyers asking for information about her daughter, but she didn't get any responses about her location or her status. Edmund started hanging out at a bar called the Jury Room, which was popular with police officers. He would make friends with local cops who referred to him as Big Ed, because he was big. Yeah. By doing this, he risked being caught, but he did it for the additional thrill. Edmund enjoyed being so close with the people trying to catch him. Yeah, a lot of killers do that. They want to be involved in the investigation and mm-hmm. all that, in searches for people that yeah. they killed. And that. It's weird. Mm-hmm. But. So police officers would come sit in this bar after their shift or whatever and discuss the disappearances of these girls about how they couldn't figure out what was going on and would talk about the body parts that they would find with Kemper. Not knowing that he was the one who was doing it the whole time. And he got off on that. Oh, for, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. On January 7th, 1973, Edmund was driving around the Cabrillo College campus when he picked up 18-year-old Cynthia Ann Cindy Shaw. Not Cindy. Cindy was the daughter of William Shaw and Suzanne Ottinger Shaw. Sorry. At this time, Kemper had moved back in with his mother. Just like his previous victims, he drove to a secluded area and fatally shot Cindy with a twenty-two caliber caliber pistol. So he shot all these people with the same gun? Um, Is that what it was? Twenty-two I think caliber so. the whole time? I think so, yeah. I was thinking of the rifle before, but that was his grandparents. Yeah, that's, that's not what I was talking about. Yeah, like, no. I'm assuming he used the same gun. And um, I didn't put this in there, but I did watch a kind of documentary about um, Edmund. Mm-hmm. And he had went into a shop to buy a gun. Mm-hmm. And his previous murders of his grandparents were kind of like blacked out on his record. Oh, really? Because it was mm-hmm. because he was so young or? I don't know. And because he served his time in the psychiatric I hospital, I guess so. Maybe? But like when he so he, when he went in to buy the gun, he bought the gun. But then the guy who sold it to him called the police and was like, "Hey, this guy just came in about this gun. I thought it was pretty sketchy. Maybe you should go check it out." So they mm-hmm. went to Edmund, and he was in his car, mm-hmm. and had the gun he bought, but then another gun that was his murder weapon. Oh. And so they didn't know he had that gun, and it was in his car. Gotcha. So they came and confiscated the other gun. But he had that other one still. Mm-hmm. And gotcha. they didn't know it. I thought that was pretty weird. So did they find the records of him then? No. Or did they just think when he was When they sketchy? did a check, I guess, you know, even back in the day when you buy a gun, they'd do like a little background check. Yeah, yeah, check. yeah. So when they did the background check, they saw that he had a record, but it was blacked out. Right. Like, it had been, like, physically blacked out. Right. 
So they knew that something was there, but they couldn't see what. So that's mm-hmm. why they put, they called the police and was right. Like, I was just saying, did the police know? Like, did the police find out that he had a record and what was it about, or did they just think he was sketchy and took the gun? That's I what think I was asking. the police probably found out what it was about, mm-hmm. and so they went and confiscated the gun. Gotcha. I think they probably have deeper records. I would yeah. Assume. So, but I thought that was weird. That is weird. And then when the police officer was talking about it, he was like, you know, I had no idea that this guy would be capable of doing the things that he done. Yeah. Because he was, a, you know, pretty stand-up guy. Right. Weird, but... Well, what everybody saw on the outside anyways. Right. So, he placed Cindy's body in the trunk of his car and drove to his mother's house, where he kept her body hidden in a closet in his room overnight. After his mother left for work the next morning, he had sexual intercourse with Cindy's body... And then removed the bullet from her corpse. Okay. To, like, get rid of the evidence. Right. Um, He then dismembered her and decapitated her in his mother's bathtub. No. Kemper kept her head for several days. He would engage in Arushimedo regularly throughout these days. He then buried the head in his mother's garden facing toward her bedroom creepy yeah he I think said he's just that, trying to send bad vibes her way yeah he said that he did this because his mother always wanted people to quote look up at her wow interesting yeah that's i don't think that's what she meant i nope. don't think she meant literally <laughs> right over the following few weeks all of cindy's body was recovered except her head and right hand and was pieced together like a macabre jigsaw puzzle if you remember, when he was younger, like I said in the beginning, he used to cut the head and hands off his sister's dolls, so this was, like, a thing that he used to do. Yeah. Yeah. A pathologist determined that Cindy had been dismembered with a power saw. Oh, that is brutal. A power saw. That's so brutal, bro. Yeah. So, I didn't plan for this to be two parts, but it's getting pretty long, and I still have a lot to do, so I'm going to have to make this another part. So, I'm going to stop here for the end of part one, and then next week I will do part two and cover the rest of his murders and his time in prison and everything, so. Okay, sounds good. Make sure you come back next week Yep. for the rest of this ridiculous story. For the rest of this. Not story, you know. Um, absolutely terrifying, psychotic, disgusting, nasty. horrific case. Um, yeah. Of Edmund Kemper. So... Yeah, I'm going to have to uh, pound all of this out of my brain later. Yeah. Um, by banging my head against the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for sitting through it this long. Yeah. Um, I think that's just a good place to stop because all of the torture and all that, it's just a lot. So. Yeah. So, we're, we'll get into the rest of it in the next episode. Sorry for making it a part two. But it'll be good, though. It'll be good. Not in a good way. No. Not but like you that. Know. You guys understand. Anyway, um, go subscribe to our Patreon. Yes, please do. And, um, anything else? Don't forget to leave us a review, because we'll read it in the next episode. Yes. Um, follow us on all our socials. Yep. Twitter, Instagram. Mm -hmm. We also have a Facebook. A lot of people have actually been following us on Instagram and Twitter, and people have been liking our Facebook page. I have noticed that. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we appreciate appreciate it. it. I mean, we post all of our pictures there. Mm -hmm. We really need to keep up on that (laughs) i've been trying to lately so so anyways thanks for joining us on this part one of edmund kemper and we'll see you next time
See ya. Bye. Bye.